Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, here with uh, J.P. Cohen. Uh, a bit of discussion between us about grading. Grading was a big part of what we did when I thought I was a price guide guy and then grading came on the scene. J.P. Cohen is an auction guy, but grading is certainly a huge part of what they do. Thanks, J.P., for questions back and forth where we uh, had a good time both being veterans and vintage guys. Here it is. What do you do in terms of grading? Some auction houses have strong preferences for certain graders and some are more agnostic. For this uh, vintage of card or this set, you ought to be with this company. But do you help them with that? Do you have good deals with these different graders to get better turnaround? Because that's a big part of it. If you sell a raw card that ought to be graded, you're probably leaving money on the table. Yeah, we're very pro-grading. When, when we feel like an item will get more money because it's in some type of authentic grading services holder, we're very pro for that. The majority of the cards that are holders are, are in PSA holders. However, there's a couple other companies, obviously Beckett and, and SGC, and there's an audience for them too. How directive are you? Because if you're aligned with the consigner's interest, which you are, you want to do the best you can for them. It's probably in their best interest if they're with a third tier a grading company for you to recommend or do it for them to crack it or get a, get a review from what you're saying are the big three. Um, if it's a 52 tops card and it's not in a PSA holder, it, it probably needs to be cracked. We're a little hesitant on cracking out expensive cards just because an opinion of a grading company is X that day. It could change if you crack it out and have to revisit the card again. It's grading is an opinion. Usually we, re we review the cards when we're trying to cross them over to another grading company because we feel like we can get more money or trying to get a higher grade. We usually review them in the holder. And that's usually how we proceed. As far as um, cracking out cards, we do crack some cards out if we're going to try to put them in a different company's holder. That's what I mean. Uh, but when it gets expensive, when the cards start to get in that several thousands or higher valuation, you got to be very careful. You got to really know what you're doing when you crack a card out. You know, you know, <laughs> last thing you want to do is crack it out and then find out that the new opinion is that it's a lesser grade or they think it might have evidence of trimming or something like that. I'm not talking about trying to get a better grade from the same company. I'm talking about a, a, a slabbed card that's from a grading company that you really haven't heard of. You're really not going to handle it. You could leave it in that holder or you could crack it out. When I was much more active, we used to keep a collection of every different grading company of one card from each one. And then when I sold the company, I said, it's going to be an interesting thing for me to just hold on to. And the, the new owners didn't care. Then I decided, why am I doing this? So a few years after that, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to crack them out. And some of them were better cards. Some of them were not that great. And I'll tell you what, some of those grading companies that are now defunct had almost bulletproof <laughs> holders uh -huh. getting out the bolt cutters or whatever. And I, I damaged a few cards. Sure. So it's not for the faint hearted. If you crack a slab and it's a slab you're not familiar with, or even if you are, you got to be careful because you got to apply some force to it and the card can go flying. The shards can go flying. Sure. They uh, do. They, but they, some of these defunct grading companies put all their energy into making an indestructible holder, but they weren't so good at grading or they couldn't get traction. This is a hobby that's driven by demand in many respects. You have to create demand in order to get the best price. You got to get two people to bid on something and they know you're standing behind it and they bid in your auctions, but they, you can't get that if it's a grading company that nobody's heard of. They're going to tremendously discount the value. And so you've got to look out for your consigners. 
No, you do. And, and in many cases, those companies overgrade are a little looser on their grade. But that's the perception. I, I think that's not always true. No. It's the it's general perception. And it's really hard in the first year of existence to prove that you're not. No, but there definitely has been companies throughout the years that have graded cards that might have been a little looser in their standards than some of the other ones. So you take that all into consideration when you make that decision about cracking out a card or uh, sometimes I look at cards and I go, I'm not going to crack this out or even bother to try to cross it because it has issues in my opinion. Yeah. So I'll give it back to the consigner or I'll make a suggestion of how to turn it into money. And usually that is by putting it on eBay and, and letting people know that they're buying a company that might not be around, but the card represents X. Even though the company might call it Mint, I might think it's more of an X Mint card. I always believe in full disclosure, be very transparent, tell it as it is, and people know what they're buying. And, and that way you don't have any things to come back and, and creep up on you years down the road. Do you have a favorite decade uh, or era of cards that you work with? I'm just wondering, some people, if they love the 50s cards, well, then they think that's vintage. If they love the 90s cards, like say if they're a younger person, maybe they think that's vintage, but you're broadening the items that you're uh, covering and selling now is more expanded than ever. For many years, we've always said we're a pre-70s company. And we'll deal in the 19th century, early 1900s, the Gaudi era, the 30s, the uh, 50s are right in our wheelhouse because that was what I collected when I first um, opened Memory Lane. All my sets were, for the most part, 50s. I had some 40s. However, because of the change of the landscaping of this industry and what we're, we're witnessing selling, we, we branched into 70s, 80s, and up to current day items. We're just talking cards now, but we also do a lot of memorabilia as well. We're really into the game use area. We did in our last auction, we did a photo catalog just selling original photos, which was a big success. We're changing with the times, adapting, but my personal preference is pre-70, but we're covering all bases. I'm a 50s guy, I think. <laughs> That's just when I started and I love the, the style and the cars just feel differently in the, especially mid-50s. It's just a different kind of cardboard, different yeah. kind of thickness. Maybe they're more primitive to some people, but they're more authentic to me. You've innovated in some ways in the auction space. What, what innovation are you most proud of? Because it's a copycat industry sometimes. We came into the space to to do auctions and private sale. And we realized that the private sale area of this industry is very limited. In the beginning, when we first started 21 years ago, we would be doing two or three shows a month. That's a way to do a lot of private sales. And, and the show circuit has, has definitely changed over the years. It's less and less. We've been very driven towards giving alternatives to our customers. Some people don't want to take the risk of going to auction because auctions are risky. Sometimes when an auction's over, your customer had higher expectations and they're disappointed. Sometimes they're very happy. I thought you were the first one that did a private sale catalog. We did. I think There's always people that do their ads. People did ads in SCD. You took it to the next level. We did. We, we branded and started a private sale vehicle called I Own It Now. It allowed people to buy the item right then and there. And we put a catalog out and we sent it out. We did this for about three or four years where we did it on catalog. And then we did a couple of years online. We put it on the shelf at this point. The material sells so quick. By the time we produce a catalog, it's it takes a month or two. It can be sold. We just put a hold to the I Own It Now program. We're, we're building a platform right now with our IT company to hopefully be able to do a little bit more of the I Own It Now 
offerings through our website and allow people to archive past stuff that we've sold and try to make offers to the current owners, as well as allow collectors out there to use that as a vehicle to sell stuff outside of the auction format if they don't want the risk of putting something in auction because we don't do reserves in our auction. So whatever goes in our auction, it sells no matter what it sells for. We feel pretty strong though that whatever it goes in our auction doesn't get lost. We don't duplicate anything in our auction. So if you have a 52 mantle and a five, there won't be another 52 mantle and a five. It might be a 52 mantle and an eight, but we won't have the same graded card in one of our auction because we don't want to compete against ourselves. But we're very proud of the private sale area that we've niched out and we're known for that and we built that. And we're also known for our auctions. We're very pro customers and coming up with ways for them to reach their goals and sell their items. I'm not talking about the, the two mantles in fives, but has there been a circumstance where you've advised somebody to not sell or bring to auction a certain card at a certain time to wait? I'll be here for you, but now's not the time. Has that ever happened? It happens all the time. Since I live and breathe this business, in tune with the audience of certain areas of collecting and cards, keep saying we're in for the long haul. I'm not looking just to pull your collection and get it in my auction and whatever it brings. I want you to be happy. I'm sure people, when they consign to us, have higher expectations, but at least when they're done with us, they know we give it all we got. We marketed and promoted it. But many times people will say to me, hey, I have this. 38 Gaudi, I'm making this up, 38 Gaudi DiMaggio. What do you think of the market right now? I might say, I don't think it's good for an auction because it's such a thin audience for that card or an exhibit set or certain issues that I know and anybody that's an advanced dealer or collector knows that there's only a few people that really are interested in that. And I'll make the suggestion, why don't I reach out to some guys I know that might have interest in that regional set or that exhibit set or whatever it may be. And let's try to privately sell first. We can always go to auction, but let's try to make it a safe transaction for you and privately sell it. Because I don't think in an auction right now, you're going to reap what you would like to get. So That's the auction um, thing, but, but for the fixed price, or would you be recommending the price that they put for their fixed price uh, private sale item? Or would you float it out there and see what the people would bear? Because I mean, there are some things that are underappreciated at a certain point in time. And we've seen a lot of that in the last couple of years, that things that were languishing two or three years ago have doubled you know, or tripled. Yeah. Being in the business so long and, and having clients since day one that I still deal with, there's plenty of stories of stuff that I told the client. And I'll give you an example. I told a client once that I have an offer from somebody that wants a 52 tops Mickey Mantle card in a ninth, graded a ninth. And he's willing to pay it 250000 bucks. Now, keep in mind, this was in 2005. At that time, 250000 for that card was a big amount of money, huge. And the client said, I'll sell it. And we did. And to this day, the gentleman still has it. However, if I would have had a crystal ball, of course, would have said, hold on to that. But at the time, I thought that was an amazing accomplishment to get that kind of money. Well, it was a stretch Um, price. That's what I'm getting at. And I was trying to do historical price guys. We were always trying to say what cards sold for, which says I wasn't trying to be a crystal ball kind of thing. But if you were to say, hey, this is a $250,000 card right now, but if you hold it, it might be a $500,000. That's that's hard to do. It can go either way. It can go either way. And and I'm, I'm more conservative when it comes to that way of looking at it. I, I put the facts out. I, I do believe, and it's something I always share and I guess preach with collectors is that 
when you have something extremely rare and that doesn't come up regularly, and all the years I've been doing it, it always appreciates. There's always someone that'll pay more that that's, has to have it. This industry has become a rich collector's hobby where the money is very available with these collectors. When I first started in this business, I remember sharing with family, I've got this millionaire that is buying cards and I'm helping him build this 54 top set. I just sold him a couple thousand dollars worth of cards this 20 years ago. And I was all excited. Now everyone's a millionaire and we got billionaires. Okay. Uh, who would ever have predicted this? And that's what's driven this market is that there, there's not enough supply and there's a big demand and there's unlimited resources. And a lot of these guys will be the first to tell you I'm overpaying for something, but I want it. Right. And that's the collector mentality. Right. Or I reach out to collectors I've dealt with and say, Jim, you have that Mickey Mantle card. Would you sell it? And I, the last one sold for ten thousand dollars. You're like, I won't sell it. I don't want to sell. It. I love it. So you gotta give me a number. And you give me a number that's not really in the market of, of where the card's value is. However, that's what you would take to sell it. It's a one of a kind or very rare. And, and the buyer on the other end knows that he's overpaying, but he wants it too. We see a lot of that going on now, where these numbers that we're seeing in auctions or private sales are probably really not in tune with what the real market would bear. But it's the guy to have it. I want it scarcity and I want it now gratification. And that's the beauty of this industry is that there's I love it. You can't print 52 mantles anymore. I hear you. <laughs> the man.